as, uh, as we've went through these letters to the churches, this is the sixth one out of the seven letters, one thing has stood out to me as we've worked our way through these letters, and I, I'm, I wonder if it has stood out to you as well, but that is that sometimes Jesus says really hard things to His people. And I, I found myself a few times asking, somewhat in terms of teaching, like, God, how do I communicate this? Because how do these really hard words fit with the gospel of grace? How do those go together? I might point you to a passage like Romans 8.1, this incredibly beautiful promise that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who belong to Christ. There's no condemnation from God. What does that mean? It means Jesus came to the earth to live the kind of right life that it is impossible for us to live. And after around 33 short years, Jesus received the punishment of death and the separation from God that we deserved. So He lived what we could not live to die what we're supposed to die. And then, by conquering death in the resurrection, He now lives, that's what we sang this morning, living hope. He now lives to offer a pardon a pardon from guilt to those who will trust in what He did. That is the most profound and deep thing you will ever hear and understand in your life if you're able to understand it. Yet it's so simple. It's the Gospel of grace. Romans 8.1 says that those who have trusted in Christ and who have this pardon, you stand before God innocent. You are innocent of every sin that you have ever committed and you are innocent of every sin that you will ever commit. But then you read these letters. And Jesus is not writing to Gentiles. He's not writing to lost people. He's writing to His churches. By Gentiles, I mean those who are not in Christ. But He's not just writing to the world. He's writing to those who believe in Him. And what does he say? Repent or I will remove your lampstand. Repent or I will war against you with the sword of my mouth. Repent or I will throw you into great tribulation. That is difficult warnings and hard words. And you read those and it's just like, well, how does this fit? What is the purpose of Jesus using such hard words to His people that He has declared innocent before Him because of their faith? And so I want to address that for a moment, or try to address that before we get to Philadelphia, the letter to the church in Philadelphia. If you're a note-taker and grabbed up one of our worship guides, there's some fill-in-the-blanks there if you'd like to follow along. And I want to give us three thoughts on how Jesus uses hard words for His people. How He uses hard words for the good of His church. How does He do that? First of all, hard words 
Reveal the state of your heart. Hard words from Christ reveal the state of your heart. Josh pointed this out when he preached on the letter to Ephesus, but hopefully you've noticed it as well. Every one of these letters, Jesus ends them essentially the same way. He who has an ear, let him hear. If you can, listen. If you can, respond. That's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus anticipates that as people read these letters in His church, there will be some who will be responsive to what He says. They will listen. There will be others who will ignore what He says. And eventually, they will wander away. There's probably no better picture of this than in John chapter 6. We won't turn there this morning, but you may read it later on your own. But in John chapter 6, Jesus is giving some very, very difficult teaching. He's talking about how you can't have a part of Him unless you eat of His flesh. Pointing to spiritual realities about our need to receive His work and His sacrifice. But after this particularly hard teaching, the Bible says many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. Not many of the crowd, not many of the lost, many of His disciples, people who had proclaimed allegiance to Him and were following Him, many of His disciples heard His hard words and they turned around. And so there's this moment in John 6 where Jesus looks at the twelve, the twelve apostles, and He says, do you want to go away as well? You've, you've heard the same thing. Are you going to leave? And Peter, speaking for the group, says to Jesus, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed. It is not that the twelve didn't wrestle with what Jesus said. It is not that the twelve did not find things that He said really, really hard at times. The difference was their faith in Him kept them attentive even when He said to them very hard things. So how does Jesus use hard words? It is the hard words of Jesus that reveal those who are truly His and those who are truly not. It's not the easy words that do that. If, 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 if we're just preaching and Jesus is just teaching goodness and prosperity and, 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 and hope all your days, like anybody can receive that. Difficult words have the most revealing power. So when you receive a very difficult teaching from Jesus, when you read something very difficult from Him, yet you're still able to cling to Him, and you're still able to respond to what He says, and you are able to say, Jesus, this is hard, but where else would I go? You have eternal life, so I will listen to You. That, church, is confidence for your soul that you are in Christ. And even right now, please hear, even right now, in this room or on this replay, if 
If you are hearing the words of Christ, if you are reading the words of Christ, and they mean nothing to you, or they are even a horror to you, and you want to walk away, even that is grace. Because that revelation to your heart that I'm not receiving this well tells you that if you will turn to Christ in your dullness and you will cry out to Him to give you ears to hear and help you stay with Him, He will. Even right now, if you find God's Word totally uninteresting, and you are not moved by what you read or what He says, you can know there's a spiritual problem, but if you will cry out to Christ and ask Him to help you to love Him and know Him, He will. He will answer. And in that way, hard words are grace. Because they reveal our hearts. Secondly, hard words underscore the dangerous condition that you are in. Hard words underscore the dangerous condition that you are in. What do I mean by that? Even for those who are in Christ right now in this room, even those of us who are in Christ, we're believers. Sin is still a very real threat And sin still has very real practical and spiritual consequences. Even though you are in Christ and you are eternally not guilty of your sins, on this planet, in this life, while you still live, if you engage in sin, it will bring to you very real consequences. Very real pain. Very real suffering. Very real difficulty. Sin can never sever a believer's relationship with God. But sin can grieve his spirit and disrupt your place in his presence. Your sin, because there's no condemnation in Christ, your sin will never sever that communion you have with God. But it can disrupt it. And it can hurt those around you. And there's not a person in this room that's immune from temptation. Charles Spurgeon wrote that as the natural man is born to trouble, the Christian man is born, born again to temptation. In other words, even in our being born again, we are still going to be tempted. We must always be on our watch against Satan because like a thief, he gives no indication of his approach. You will be tempted and not realize it's temptation. You will be threatened by sin and not realize it's wrong. And Jesus uses hard words to warn His people that there are repercussions of disobedience. And He uses hard words to stir in us the fear of God that leads us to wise living. Good parents know you can't just say harsh things to your kids all the time. You will crush them. Good parents know you can't always be encouraging to your children In their disobedience, you will lead them to recklessness. Good parents fight to understand how to parent well with both words of warning and words of encouragement. And we have a divine and good God who knows what we need. And hard words help us 
to know the dangerous condition that we're in. And then finally, hard words emphasize the cost Jesus incurred for your freedom. Hard words emphasize to us the cost Jesus incurred for your freedom. Speaking of kids, if you have them, or you may remember your childhood if you're older, but your parents, if if you get a gift from someone, and they're standing there and someone gives you a gift, your parents are likely, or you are likely to look at your kids and say, Tell them thank you. Tell them thanks. Like we, we, we learn from an early age we should show gratitude through words. But we also know that the true test of whether or not you value a gift that you're given will be seen in how you care for it after the gift giver is not in sight anymore. Right? Paul scolded the Corinthians because they were neglecting Christ by their rampant sin. And he said to them, Do you not know, church, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. By the way, that's a hard word from Jesus. And culturally unacceptable. You and your body are not your own. Because you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus uses hard words to communicate to His people the seriousness of spiritual matters and how we live. And He does so to remind us that the freedom we enjoy was a costly freedom. A costly freedom where Jesus suffered and died Not just physical suffering, but the wrath of God. And He uses hard words to remind us to treat that gift as valuable. Not just to sing and say that we value it, but to live in such a way that shows we value it. And He uses hard words to stir us to that, emphasizing to us the cost of our freedom that we might be grateful in how we live. So we've heard hard words throughout this series. And Jesus uses them for those who belong to Him, who find themselves in a place of no condemnation, innocent before God, yet He says to them hard things for their good. Ephesus, remember It is easy to know and believe the right things and lose your love for God. So repent. Smyrna, it is going to cost you something to follow Jesus. You are going to have to be faithful even when it means you die to yourself because you are not your own. So stand faithful. Pergamum. You are going to want to let the ideology of this world shape how you live and shape how you react to people and shape how you spend your resources and shape how you treat your enemies. So be uncompromising and be like Jesus. Thyatira, idolatry and sensuality is crouching at your door to devour you. Flee from it. 
and remain undefiled. Sardis, your days are long and you are often going to find yourself ignoring your relationship with Jesus because you have to prioritize other even really good things. And those really good things will sometimes take the place of Christ. So wake up! You are spiritually asleep. Stay vigilant. There are those in Christ, those in the church who teach that because Jesus has done all the work, all we do is rest in Him. And listen, when it comes to salvation, that is true. When it comes to being born again, that is absolutely true. But in living out our salvation, Jesus calls us to action, not passivity. He calls us to act out of the Spirit that He has put in us. And He is a good God. And He knows what we need. And sometimes we need hard words to spur us on to action. And so He gives them. But agape, Jesus also knows when we are weak. And He knows when we are grasping for hope. And He knows when our soul is mired deep in despair. And so He is not only the God of hard words, but He is the God of encouragement. And today, we see in this letter to the church of Philadelphia, that encouragement. The one word theme for the church in Philadelphia is belong. Belong. Philadelphia is one of two churches, Smyrna being the other, that gets no correction from Jesus. He does not say one bad thing about them. He does not rebuke them at all. That doesn't mean they didn't have any problems. That doesn't mean they didn't have any sin issues. We know by the testimony of the New Testament that they did. Because every Christian is wrestling with sin and problems. So why did Jesus not address those? Because you have a Savior who knows what you need in the moment. And in these letters, He is addressing the greatest needs of these churches. And in that moment, the greatest need of Philadelphia was to be lifted out of their distress. Philadelphia was a church that was weak. They were of little power, Jesus said. Which means they were likely a small church that had no significant influence. Most people maybe didn't even know they were there. They were overlooked. They were not well thought of. They may have not been thought of at all. They had little influence. And many in that church may have been Jews who had started following Jesus. And because they were following Jesus, they had been excluded from the Jewish synagogue. And that doesn't really mean much to us today. I mean, honestly, in our culture, if you were excluded from a church, you could simply go to another one. But in that day, in that culture, to be excluded from the synagogue, to be put out of the synagogue, 
was an act that often resulted in a person being shunned by their community and shunned even by their family. Where no one was to have anything to do with them. And this had happened, apparently, to many in Philadelphia. Jesus refers to the synagogue as the synagogue of Satan. Meaning that they are not acting of God, even though they think they are. This small church, these believers, they had endured in spite of the shunning. They had endured with Christ and remained faithful to Him. And Jesus commends them for that. And Jesus gives them a promise in Philadelphia. He says, I'm going to set before you an open door which no one will be able to shut. Now many commentators believe that that refers to a ministry opportunity or an evangelism opportunity because there are indeed other places in the New Testament where Paul speaks of open doors talking about opportunities for evangelism. And we would be right to read this this passage and to believe that no matter how weak we may be or how many resources we may lack, God gives each of us a mission and if we rely on Him, nothing will stop it. You are right to hear that and you are right to believe that. That whatever God is calling you to, you can know if you cling to Him, you will be successful in it, fruitful in it. And you may look around and say, but I don't have this and I don't have that and I need this. And you think you're in a place of weakness, but you're actually in a place of great strength because you will be relying on God whose resources are limitless. But having said that, I will tell you, I don't think that's what Jesus meant here. I don't think He is telling Philadelphia, I'm going to put before you an open door of missions that no one will be able to shut. And I will point to how Jesus introduced Himself. We've talked about how important these introductions are and that every one of these introductions somehow relate to the need of the church or what they're going through. And Jesus introduces Himself to Philadelphia as the one who has the key of David. And that is an Old Testament reference. And in the Old Testament, someone who was given the key of David was given the authority to grant access or exclude people from a kingdom in the king's court. It's mentioned, I think, in Isaiah as being given to a steward. They would have the authority to say who could enter or who could not enter the kingdom. But it is pointing to the ultimate fulfillment of the one who would have the key of David as the Messiah. The one who would have the authority, the final say on who can and cannot enter the presence of God in the kingdom of heaven. And that is Jesus. Jesus gets to say who comes into the presence of God. Jesus gets to say who is in the kingdom of heaven. And that is confirmed if you look in verse 12. Jesus makes this promise that for the ones in Philadelphia who conquer, He will make them a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall... You go out of it, and I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. 
What does that mean? What does it mean if you were to have the name of God written on you? The name of the city of God written on you. It means you belong there. It means that's your home. That's who you belong to and that's where you belong. And so take this picture in its context. That although the Christians of Philadelphia are being excluded from the community of worship by the Jews, they're being shunned by their community and their family. They have little power. They are weak. And Jesus says to them, I've accepted you. I have the key of David. I have the authority to usher anyone I choose into the presence of God. And when you believe upon me, you belong to Him. You belong where He is. You belong where I am. You belong in that city. You have a place. You may be shunned now, but I have accepted you and I have secured you into my kingdom and you will never be shut out. No one will ever tell you that you don't belong here. That's what I think Jesus means by this open door set before the people. An open door that no one can shut. Access to God and His kingdom by faith. This life truth that's in your handout this morning is really the theme of the letter to Philadelphia. To His faithful ones who are weak, rejected, overlooked and abused, Jesus promises eternal victory and secure belonging. To those who are in Christ, who are faithful to Him, who believe upon Him, even though they may be weak, they may be rejected, they may be overlooked, they may be abused, Jesus promises eternal victory. Church, you may lose some battles now. You may feel you're in a war and you may feel at times that you are being overrun, but you have victory. It is assured. It is secured. And the reality of living in that victory is coming. And you have secure belonging. You may feel rejected and overlooked, but you belong to me. You belong where I am and no one can shut that door to you. Now, as you hear this this morning, the reality is you are probably in one of two groups. And as you watch this on replay later, you're probably in one of two groups. Either... That life truth, that theme, those words resonate with you immensely. Or you have a really difficult time understanding what that feels like. 
So I want to speak to both groups for a moment. If those words resonate to you immensely, and you find yourself, whether it is in a season or maybe it seems to you your whole life, you have felt rejected, overlooked, beaten down. No matter what you do, it doesn't seem to be good enough to be accepted. No matter what you do, you it just doesn't seem like you have favor. You feel shunned. Maybe you have actually been shunned and put out of a community or a family. I purposely chose Isaiah 53 this morning as our opening reading to encourage you to know that Jesus Himself was despised, ignored, and abused. The Son of God was not esteemed on the earth. He was not valued. Not by the majority of the world. And He has carried your grief before you. And the help that you are looking for the healing that you are looking for is with Him. It's with Him. If you believe in Him, if you place your faith in Him, then what He is telling you right now through this ancient letter to Philadelphia is that you're His. And one day, all will learn that He has loved you. All will see that He has loved you. And on that day, when Jesus calls your name before His Father, you will have zero care what anyone ever thought of you other than Jesus. And that encouragement is meant now to spur you on to draw near to Him to know that you belong with Him and you belong to Him. You feel weak, but He says you're strong. You feel rejected, He says you are accepted. You feel overlooked, He says I see you. You feel abused and beaten down. And He says I will exalt you. Yes, Jesus promises to exalt His people. He will exalt you over your enemies. He will exalt you over the situations that have pulled life from you. So His words to you are, overcome. Overcome how you feel and trust in that by faith, which you can't see. How do you do that? Don't withdraw from Him. Don't seek your belonging outside of Him. Don't seek your comfort outside of His ways. Don't give in to bitterness. Don't give in to resenting people. Because that is not the way of Christ. Fight for hope in Him and fight for hope in His church. Fight for hope among His people. Is that hard? Yes, 
Because we're a flawed people that come together. But we're to fight for hope with each other. Run to Him in prayer. And listen to what He says. Go back to His Word over and over and over again. I had, I had someone do this a few weeks ago um, when I was talking to them about an issue they were going through. But take a piece of paper. This is more pastoral than something I can point to in a verse, but take a piece of paper and write down on that paper the words that you struggle with, the fears that you have, the, the lies that you are tempted to believe. Write that down. Just be very honest about what you're struggling with. And then go into God's Word and find His promises that relate to those fears, to those difficulties, to those lies, and write His promises all around them. And meditate on that. So that what you're being told about your life and what you're fearful about, you can immediately see the promises of God. The promises of Jesus. Battle the feelings of weakness and rejection with the words of your Savior. If today these words to Philadelphia and this preaching is something that you've never felt, just honestly in your life, you've just never really felt overlooked or weak, so it'd be easy to sit and say, well, this doesn't really relate to me. But it does. Because my charge to you is look around. You would be surprised at how many people truly feel alone. Even in a crowd. Some of the people that you would think are the most connected people you know feel all alone. And it's sometimes easy to place blame. You know, that, that's, that's their problem. That's, that's how they live. And, and, and listen, sometimes a sense of rejection is rooted more in spiritual issues than, than practicality. But we are called to help each other. If you have never really felt this way, Praise God. You are strong in that area. And you have a responsibility to bear with those who are not. To help them. Quite frankly, we are tempted to want to spend all of our time and our energy with the people who are like us. Who make us feel good. And that's okay. It's okay to have deep relationships and just be with people, be yourself with people, but the church, we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. So we are to look for the overlooked. We're to go to the outcast. We are to befriend those who feel like they don't have any friends. It's what we're called to do in our strength. So ask God 
to show you who needs a friend. Ask God to reveal to you in some way who is lonely. He will lead you. He will answer you. You may be a difference maker in someone's life. You may bring them to a place where they can finally sense a belonging to Jesus through you and through your love to them. And this morning, if you just don't have a place in Christ, my charge to you is come to Him. He will not reject you if you come to Christ. Close your eyes and pray. Ask Jesus to make you His. He will. You don't have to worry about getting all the words just right. Ask Christ to let you belong to Him. And He will. Following after Christ means it's going to cost something. There's no possible way for you to know what that entire life is going to look like. You're not even supposed to right now. Just have a willingness to give up your sin and learn a new way to live. And know that Jesus will help you every single step of the way. You will belong to Him. You will be accepted. You will be secure. And you will never face the wrath of God for your sin. Verse 10, in this letter, Jesus promises to keep His people from that hour of trial coming on the whole world. Now, I believe that's referring to a time of great tribulation that marks the final days of the earth. But there is a, there's a big debate, of course. What does this mean that God will keep or Jesus will keep His people from that hour of trial that is coming? Some believe that means He will remove His church before a time of great trial. That's often called the rapture. Others believe that He will leave His church during that time Leave them as in they will be here on the earth, but He will keep and protect His people even as they go through that time of tribulation. I'm not going to address that now, but here's what I will say. Here is the agreement that we have. No one who is in Christ will ever face the wrath of God for the judgment of sin. He will keep His people. That doesn't mean that they're, as the people of God, we won't face suffering. That doesn't mean we won't face difficulty. We know that we will because we know that we do. As a matter of fact, you may face very specific types of suffering for His name. But when God pours His wrath out on the earth, In judgment of sin, Jesus has promised to keep you from that hour. And that promise is only for those who are in Christ. Because He has been crushed for our iniquities, and upon Him was the chastisement that brings us peace. So I say to you today, those of you who don't know your place in Christ, come to Him. Receive the gift of faith. Receive all of His promises. Cry out that you might believe. Faith itself is a gift. The ability to believe is a gift. It is one that you can ask for. 
And the result of that faith is a gift as well. I want to ask the worship team if they'll come up. And as they are, we're also going to have some prayer partners this morning over to my left. So if you're praying for people today, thank you. I invite you to come over to, to my left to do that. As we worship this morning, and that's what we want to continue to do, is continue to worship together. But now we get to worship in response to God's Word. So I want to ask you this morning to do that. To, If you have ears to hear, listen. Respond. And yes, some of what God may be saying to you, you can't just respond to in the next 10 or 15 minutes. It is a response that's going to need to keep going as you walk out of this place. But it can start now. Not, there, there are there are important ways. There are there are times that we can mark important moments in our life in ways that we can remember later. And maybe that time I just need I need to go and kneel before God. You could do that anywhere in this room, but I, I need to go and, and kind of just go up front and kneel and, and mark this moment of what Christ is saying to me. I need to go and be prayed for. I need to go and confess to someone else really what I'm struggling with and what I'm going through and let them pray for me. So I invite you to respond this morning in the way that God tells you to. You can come and be prayed for about anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be about feelings of weakness or rejection. If there's a healing that you're seeking after, any burden that you have on your heart and you want to be prayed for, that's what our prayer partners are here for. And it is appropriate for you to respond through prayer and singing where you are. Just don't ignore Him. And this morning, if He has spoken to you about something in your relationship with Him, and it doesn't matter to me if you've been in church your whole life. Look, most of you have. That's not what I'm asking. If He has revealed something to you about your relationship with Him that is in need of repair or He's revealing to you, I don't even know if I'm really in Christ. Would you please, before you leave here today, just come speak to me. Let me know that. And I will make time to get with you and pray. You can come while we're singing or you can let me know after the service. But just don't leave here without responding to Him. Father, help me as I pray. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for hard words that stir us and reveal to us things that we need to know. Thank You that hard words give us confidence of our place with You. Thank You that hard words reveal to us the condition of our hearts that we need to repent over. But Jesus, I also thank You for Your encouragement. That You say the most beautiful things to us. Jesus, we live in a very difficult world. Marred by sin. We hurt each other. We offend one another. We shun one another. God, even in Your church, these things happen. Forgive us. But please let it not be 
that what has happened to us in the past dictates our future with you or with your people. Give us renewed hope. Give us renewed strength. Give us a renewed zeal for you, Jesus, and for your church. Let us know you have put before us an open door that by faith we walk through and you receive us and usher us to the presence of your Father. And there we belong. And let that mark our lives. Let us be thankful, so thankful, that that alone dictates how we live and how we treat one another. God, please make agape, as was prayed this morning in our prayer time. Make us a healthy haven of hope for those who are lost and distressed, weak, powerless. Make us a light to a dark world, a dark community. But God, help us because we are going to have our own problems here. We're going to struggle. God, give us unity of faith and love for one another. Help us see those who feel overlooked and go to them. Help us reach out to people in our despair. Help us trust Christ in one another. Help us now, God, to respond to your word. Help us to pray. Help us to worship. Please work miracles among us now by faith. In your name we pray. Amen.